Question of the Week from the Naked Scientists. Hello and welcome to Question of the Week from the Naked Scientists with me, Diana O'Carroll. This week is a day on top of a mountain, the same as a day at the bottom. Dear Naked Scientist, I am Alex and I was just wondering how many more hours of light would you get if you were sitting on the top of Mount Everest compared to someone at the same latitude sitting at sea level? Thank you. And here's the view from the top. Hi, I'm Dominic Ford from the Department of Physics in Cambridge. There are a couple of interesting differences in what you would see around sunrise and sunset on top of a tall mountain. And first of all, there would be a difference in how long the sun would spend above the horizon. You can think about that by imagining that the Earth is a ball, and if you're standing on the surface of that ball, it appears like a flat plane that covers exactly half of everything you can see. Whereas if you move away from that ball up a tall mountain, it starts to recede away from you and appear like a globe in the sky. Now, the Himalayas aren't actually very tall in comparison to the radius of the Earth. Everest is about 9 kilometres high and the Earth is 6,000 kilometres in radius. So that means that even at the top of Everest, this ball would only appear about 174 degrees across as compared to 180. So that would make a difference of about 10 minutes in sunrise and sunset times if you assume that the Earth is a perfect sphere and Everest is the only mountain on the surface of the Earth. Now, in fact, that's not quite right because obviously Everest is in the middle of the Himalayas and you'll be familiar with the fact that if there's a tall hill on the horizon, then the sun will set behind the hill somewhat before published sunrise and sunset times. So on the top of Everest, the sun wouldn't spend that much more time over the horizon because it would set behind the mountains. But what about the bit in between sunset and total darkness? Now, there's a slightly different answer, because when we talk about hours of daylight, we tend to be talking about when we perceive it gets light and when we perceive it gets dark, rather than when the sun is rising and setting. And that's to do with twilight times and how long the sky appears bright after the sun has set. Now, in the UK, we're quite used to having a lot of twilight, and that's to do with the fact that we're at a relatively high European latitude, and when the sun sets, it sets at an oblique angle, and it actually spends quite a long time sitting on the horizon as it's setting. Everest, of course, is close to the equator, and at equatorial latitudes, the sun sets more or less vertically downwards, so it sets very quickly, and you don't have much twilight time as the sun is setting. Moreover, twilight is caused by the scattering of sunlight off particles in the Earth's atmosphere, and at the top of Everest, you're above most of the Earth's atmosphere, so you'll have a lot less light being scattered, and twilight will appear a lot darker. And so once the sun has set, it will get dark relatively quickly compared to what we're used to. So you might find actually there's slightly less daylight time on top of Everest than you would see, certainly here in the UK. 
While the sun may appear to set 10 minutes later if you're atop a mountain, the dark skies would envelop you much faster. And this is because the thinner atmosphere and the latitude prevent as much light from being scattered as happens during twilight in, say, the UK. And in the case of Everest, it's surrounded by other mountains that get in the way. On the forum, Don Juan wins our Maths of the Week prize for his attempts to calculate the differences in sunlight. He states that the area of a square on the hippopotamus is equal to the sunshine of the other two bits of stick, which means he needs to lie down in a darkened room. Next week, we remove all traces of sunlight for this question. Hello, I'm Jane from Cambridge, and I have a question for you. Out of interest, having just discovered that when bees are attacked by something like a hornet, they can form a bee ball around it and boil it to death with all the heat generated in this ball, I was wondering whether it's theoretically possible that they could do the same to a human. Given unlimited bees, I suppose, I wonder how many you'd need. How many bees are needed to boil a human being? Answers on the forum at thenakedscientists.com forward slash forum or to the usual email address, chris at thenakedscientists.com. Question of the Week is part of the Naked Scientists podcast and supported by the Wellcome Trust and UK Fast. Look us up online at nakedscientists.com.